1: Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of ProfG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the ProfG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, I'm Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox, and welcome to A Good One, a podcast about jokes. Honestly, usually, it's about more than a joke. It's about comedy, broadly. It's about people, specifically. But sometimes it really is about a joke, especially when you got a joke like this week's. As our guest is New York stand-up comedian Shane Torres, and his joke about Guy Fieri is, at least in my opinion, one of the best of the last, I don't know, decade? If you've not heard the joke, you might know it from Penn Oswalt on this show twice saying it is the joke he wished he wrote. Besides being so funny, it, it really shows the power of comedy. You know, it was a, an idea where everyone was zigging and like describing Guy Fieri as like the worst person that ever existed. And Shane found an angle by zagging and be like, maybe this guy's not so bad. And like instantly... When he tells this joke, you can see an audience like laugh in a way where like they it feels like they breathe for the first time. Like there's like, oh, yeah, like they, it's like he lifted the wool over people's eyes in a way that comedy can do. And often it's considered doing for like serious subjects. But, you know, he did it for Guy Fieri. And I knew it from from the first time I saw it, seeing Shane open for Kyle Canadian in the fall of 2016 instantly. When the joke was finished, I was like, this is going to be huge. It's a feeling I don't have often. I, I, After the show, I, I literally sent myself an email as a reminder that whenever Shane releases an album to try to have Vulture premiere this track. and And we did. It was in August 2017. And it blew up. Like, in a way, I've seen very few jokes ever do. You know, we wrote about it, people were sharing it, and then other people were sharing it, and other people wrote about it. It was like one of my great days as a a comedy fan on the internet. The version of the joke we're going to play was its final form, as he did it on Conan in September of 2017. Um, Anthony Bourdain plays a role in the jokes, so I should note that this was recorded before he committed suicide. If some of what Shane says is hard to hear... Just just think it's more about the idea of Anthony Bourdain than the actual guy I'll also say in case you're thinking, well, everybody loves Guy Fieri uh, as a person who was very much on the internet in 2017, I can say that was not the case then. This joke, I believe, is the reason for the shift. So here is Shane Torres. <laughs>
3: Can someone please explain to me what the hell Guy Fieri ever did to anyone? (laughs) Y'all know who I'm talking about, the celebrity chef? People shit on that dude all the time. (laughs) And as far as I can tell, all he ever did was follow his dreams. (laughs) Do you understand? People are horrible to a television personality and he didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) Here's what he did do, America. He started a company where he hires everybody. He pays more than minimum wage. He gives health benefits before he has to. He has a non-profit where he gives pretzel-making machines to schools so they can fundraise. I know that one sounds like I made it up, but I swear to Christ, it's true. (laughs) He works with Special Olympics athletes, and if you need a little more sugar with this medicine, he also officiated a gay wedding. Yeah. But because he has flames on his shirt... Everybody shits all over this dude like he's a member of Nickelback. And by the way, what the hell did Nickelback ever do? They made 40 million bros happy? Yeah, you don't want them walking around pissed off. That's how we ended up in this mess. That should bother all of you. And look, I get it. I don't want to hang out with Guy Fieri either, okay? I know he looks like a hot topic manager moonlighting out of Fridays. (laughs) But he didn't do anything wrong. Well, what else has he done, Shane? I'm so glad you asked! <laughs> he goes around the country to small businesses and gives them free advertising on a national platform on a weekly basis. Advertising those small businesses could never afford themselves with his own television show. But because his hair looks like he was electrocuted while drinking Mountain Dew, <laughs> people act like we need to saw his head off and put it on the internet. <laughs> Meanwhile... Y'all can't get enough of Anthony Bourdain. And he seems like the kind of dude that would be mean to dogs. So I don't understand what is happening. What does he do? So I put on Rolling Stones t-shirts and I tell food courts they suck. Come on, man. Like, if you had to choose between being stuck in a foxhole with Anthony Bourdain or Guy Fieri... You're going to pick Fieri every time. (laughs) I am still doing this bit. Uh, (laughs) What's Bourdain going to do? I'll tell you. It'll be like that dude in every World War II movie who sucks the whole time. (laughs) Then when the Nazis show up, doesn't do his job, gets a bunch of good soldiers killed. Meanwhile, Guy Fieri's over here earning new nicknames like El Fuego. <laughs> Picking up live grenades, throwing them back, saying dope shit like Welcome to Flavortown. <laughs> and he knows he's dying on that beach in France that morning, but he's there fighting. And what do y'all do? You shit all over him just because he had his sunglasses on the back of his neck. <laughs> I think it's awesome that he has a racing stripe painted on his fridge. <laughs> Love it if Banksy had painted it and look guys I know I look like the kind of dude that would defend Guy Fieri <laughs> but if that's what you're taking away from this you're missing the point <laughs> thank you guys very much I'm Shane Torres we really appreciate
2: it I am here with the comedian behind the joke you just heard Shane Torres thank you for joining me
3: thank you for having me man
2: uh this is a long time coming for me. I feel like when I thought of doing this show, I was like, "Well, one day I'll have Shane on to talk about this joke." <laughs> and today <laughs> is that day. So let's start from the beginning. Before even the joke was a, a, a flicker in your eye, what was your relationship to Guy Fieri?
3: Um, truthfully, there wasn't one. Yeah. I, uh I mean, I kind—I guess I—I I would say my relationship was like I absorbed him like a lot of people do kind of in, in background for lack of a better, you know, like it's, he's kind of always on TV or he's always on the gym television or wherever you're running, you know? So I knew who he was. He's like, he's, but I, I just, uh, you know, I was like, he was this kind of wild and crazy looking dude. But other than that, I had uh, no knowledge outside of the show itself. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't an avid watcher.
2: So then what what set you off to be like maybe there's something here?
3: Well, <laughs> I would go to like shows and everybody had like a shitty joke about it or he was like mm-hmm. a referential he like which I thought was kind of amazing that he was a reference all yep. the time. You know, it's always like is like Guy Fieri blah 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 reading, you know, Marcel Proust or something whatever what kind of like hip all mm-hmm. comic wants to like reference, you know like I just don't get it, you know or whatever, but mm-hmm. so it was kind of like, well like I guess what I was saying, all the jokes were well not actually saying the same words were the exact same joke. Yes, that's kind of where it started. I was like, and I never wanted to tell a joke that somebody else could tell mm-hmm. So I guess that 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 was kind of where it started.
2: Where, where you you saw people doing it and knowing that people were doing it all one angle, you're like, oh, if I do the opposite angle, it's like all mine.
3: Yeah, kind of. I thought it, it was just easy. And I thought, well, like, what's the other side of it? You know, like, I guess I'm of the impression the first thing that comes to your mind in a joke or an angle on a joke shouldn't be the finished product of it, mm-hmm. which I think is what a lot of that was in reference to Guy Fieri is, you know, the king of hot dogs or whatever fucking assholes wanted to say about him. <laughs> yeah.
2: So walk me through then. You have this feeling of like, oh, there's an area here where people aren't doing anything um, to going on stage with something. You know, what, how much did you go on stage with? What was your process to sort of have something, you know, what, how, wh- what were you thinking when you were like, oh, what is my ankle? Sort of like walk me through the sort of thought process to the point where you sort of got it on stage the first time.
3: Um, well, I actually remember it, uh, mm. kind of yeah, like pretty vividly, honestly, <laughs> because I was kind of thinking on it and just doing the coffee shop thing, mm-hmm. and uh, it, where you just kind of sit in a coffee shop for four hours after you buy one cup of coffee, and then yes, I would like just kind of like. Read and like go over the stuff you, you use the bathroom. Tend like I looked homeless,
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, but um, I don't know if you know, uh, Jeremy Levenbach, it sounds familiar. He used to book Whiplash when that oh, was, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, and Jeremy's a buddy of mine, he's like, Do you want to do Whiplash tonight? And I was like, Yeah, and I was like, I'd done it a few times and I'd done well on it, but I was like, I had to bring some new heat, and I was like, I guess I'll just try this. And I was thinking about what if the, the angle and the bit is that he literally hasn't done anything wrong <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's kind of where the bit like I, I went up and i was just like and it was like it was at first it was just a one-liner mm-hmm. where i just go like i would come out and i, I guess i kept this part of the bit the, uh can someone please explain to me uh what the fuck guy fieri ever did to anyone and there was kind of this chuckle and then I was like, cause, and then the line was like, cause all I, as far as I can tell, all he ever did was follow his dreams <laughs> and then it got a huge pop. Yeah. And then like, there was kind of this, if I don't know if this is true or I'm, you know, blowing smoke up my own ass, but I felt like they wanted more
2: mm-hmm.
3: of it. Like, and I was like, okay, I have to go write this joke. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, it's like mid set. You're like, Oh, I gotta go. I did. Yeah, I was out yeah, of yeah.
3: <laughs> it was like, don't worry. Apatow's up next <laughs> went which is actually what happened. <laughs> uh you know I left a turd turn the punch bowl for the Hollywood's <laughs> biggest director to pick up. Um that's how it actually the first time it started because I I was like oh there's more to it.
2: Yeah. So so did was the next step doing research or were you like oh let me actually find out more about this person was that what you thinking was like how, what even because yeah. I feel because I feel like there is a version where you just sort of like talk about even just the idea of him and be like, yeah, this seems fine. Like, what made you go like, I'm going to do research? And then what was it like doing that research?
3: The information I do in the bit or I give out in the bit unfolded rather quickly. You know, like you <laughs> if you Google Guy Fieri, you're just going to be like, it won't end. There's yeah. no like more information about him will be uploaded to the internet in a day than you can get through in a lifetime.
2: Yeah. So then you're like, you're picking and choosing from the list of good deeds. And then I imagine yes. when you found that that pretzel making thing, you're like, well, that is already as if someone wrote the joke for me. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. The thing that I found, I sort of like re did your research. I just wanted to see like more information. And because because the gay wedding one, I mean, as yes. I'm sure you know, it's not like he officiated one gay wedding.
3: Yeah, it wasn't his cousin who's a, he's always been close to. You
2: know, <laughs> he officiated 101 gay weddings. Yeah, in tri- in tribute to his his sister who was who was a lesbian who passed away. Like it's like not like can you talk about the decision not to like give all the information about that gay wedding? Or you're like, this is enough. Well, truly,
3: I I didn't know. Um, I had heard his sister was gay, but I didn't know she had passed away. I guess I, yeah, I missed yeah. that part or glanced over it. But I, I do want to point out that like it's so funny. It's such a guy fory thing for him to do a yeah. hundred and one and not just a hundred. <laughs> like yeah. it's like it's like he's the like it's like what a menu description in one of his restaurants or something. <laughs> uh, it's a hundred and one wing tower, not a hundred. Uh, but I I guess the thing with not giving all the information about it is I think part of it was just word economy and efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then part of it is like, I don't want to ruin the mood of the joke.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, like if, if I, I don't really recall that about his sister, but if that's the case, I don't know if I would want to put it in anyway. You know, like when I'm yeah. trying to highlight what a good person is and then marking them like what, probably is a pretty great personal tragedy to
2: it yeah i think also and i was gonna ask you which is like the this is like the part of the joke especially when you're just listing things where it's not even like there's a punchline where like it's almost like the goal is to like pace up the the ranting of it right you start off real slow you're just sort of like tell me and then like what did guy fieri do to any fieri did to anybody and then you just let the audience like it's like they snap out of this life of like assuming this guy was bad and, re- and like, <laughs> and then you sort of like need to ramp up the pace. Are you deliberate about thinking yeah, about that's like the oh. design
3: and the joke itself to like go on a run there a little yeah. bit, like and to become a little bit more uh, feverish feeling as the listings go on. If the, like, like the of his good deeds, mm-hmm. the joke is written in a way like, okay, it's slow, let's introduce this concept. That seems like you know, trying to explain like blockchain to people, (laughs) or you know, like and they're like, ah, I think I kind of get what he's saying, and then like, really hammering them for a little bit with it, so they. I don't want them to dissent from it. The idea, like, it's all based on the, it's all predicated on the idea that he is a decent man.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and then it's setting, it's getting everyone on board as fast as possible, and now we're having a party with like it's. Everyone's in on this thing.
3: Yes. Yeah. I don't do the bit anymore, but I can feel the room snap into place sometimes when I was doing it. And then, like, really, like, kind of roller coastering them up with the bit, I guess. It was such an exciting joke when I was really into it. You know, like, yeah. for me yeah. to be like, all right, you motherfuckers, <laughs> somebody's coming to flop this big, big joke on the table. <laughs>
2: so the the nickelback joke um part of it i i I heard an earlier version of the joke um on the uh keep her hands together podcast and what i was surprised which it was like um it goes like everybody shits all over him like he's a member of nickelback and that's where it where it ended but by the time you record the album there's the tag of like and by the way what the hell did nickelback ever do and then months later you then have the other one of like Where you now are defending Nickelback, which is like they made 40 million bros happy. Do you, you don't want them pissed off? Like, can you talk about that part? That's part, like, at least from what I notice, is like changed pretty noticeably. Can you talk about that part evolving?
3: Yeah. um, That is like, uh, okay, well, if I shit on Nickelback, who also has apparently done nothing wrong that I know Mm -hmm. of. I didn't research them as much because I I was afraid like what kind of person I might, I might just be like a walking Spencer's gifts. If I'm just walking around defending Guy Fieri and Nickelback. Um, But I get like, one, it's the way I work. Like Mm -hmm. when I write a joke, I'm always kind of kneading and massaging the dough of the joke. Like, so for me, it's like, this can change, this word can change maybe this has got room for a tag in it. Maybe it's too much. Maybe I should take that out. I have a lot of um, chipping away and adding. So I think that's probably mm-hmm. part of the reason that that little bit of the joke changed. But then also it seemed to make more sense to defend them as well yeah. in the concept of the joke and of, of its nature's and the nature of it itself. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because they... I mean, like, it's a... Uh... You're finding more examples of like whatever like this definition of like bad taste is, we you're just sort of like holding that up to people of like w- why have we like put a moral judgment on taste?
3: Yeah, I, well I thought well, it' not even a moral judgment on taste. it's the position of like being negative mm. like at some point became a valid opinion without having any support for it. And I I mean, I think I've said that before, but like culture, I really think like people just, there was this time and I, maybe the world is getting better. Who fucking knows? But where everything, it was just fashionable to shit on stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was like weak writing and it wasn't even criticism. It was like heckling via, you know, a BuzzFeed list or whatever. So I really hated that. And I'm a person who doesn't like a lot of things, (laughs) like so but I, I just i don't like the dismissal of of things without any support of it yeah. uh, for your, your reason of dismissal
2: yeah it it also it reminds me of a couple of things which is sort of like pan oswald has this thing of like it's funnier to come from a position of like things you love or what you love about something or even if you don't like something like what do you love about this thing you don't like opposed to just sort of like piling yeah. on negative things and i think it was a, a matter of coming through a topic from a perspective of love or, or wonder opposed to sort of cynicism, which yeah. is, it gets boring. I mean, I think that's ultimately, especially over the course of a show, if everyone's doing, you're just like, oh my God.
3: Yeah. It's a completely exhausting thing to hear for too long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you like, uh, and I, I, I feel like it puts the crowd in a position, like they're being scolded or something. I don't mm-hmm. like, I don't, they don't feel bad and maybe they laugh, but it's just like very few people can be like negative and shit all over something and still like not make you feel horrible and laugh your ass off. Like there's like I think like Ben Roy does it well and a couple other people, but it's too easy to just dog something out and shit all over it for it to be good most of the time.
2: I also think you learn more about a person from the things that seem meaningful to them than... The things they don't like, and truly, yeah. they spend no time thinking about.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like like why would why would you want to hear someone talk about something they don't give a fuck about? <laughs> yeah. Like, like I mean, yeah, like like it's like uh, you know, Patton has that great bit about the new Star Wars movies when they came out and how disappointed he was in them. Where mm-hmm. you talked about like they show a little bit of the Death Star at the end, uh, and he, like you could tell how invested he is. Emotionally in those movies, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. they mean to him. You know, and I, I fucking, I thought his name was Hans Solo until like two years ago. So, like, I really don't give a shit about Star Wars, but I, w- I remember losing my fucking mind laughing yeah. uh, to that bit of patents. And so, like, I mean, yeah, like, I think it's always better to come from a place of love.
2: In the Kona joke after this part, you take a big pause. Is that an intentional pause to catch people up or? I couldn't tell if you maybe forgot your place in the joke.
3: Um, I didn't forget my place. Like I, I had the joke tattooed on the inside of my head. <laughs> yeah. I kind of was like hoping for more, mm-hmm. you know, from the audience. Uh, I haven't watched it since it aired that night. Uh, I don't. At least I don't think I have. What if I was the one that gave me like eight million views on this? I just <laughs> <laughs> just had it on repeat. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, but I remember because like I used to pause there and kind of like put my arms up in like a very uh lewis black kind of manner of like <laughs> i'm so frustrated you know like yeah yeah. and i think maybe on conan I, I know i was doing it eventually i was like i say that should bother you like, yeah yeah. Just, yeah uh and i don't know if i did it on conan but it really should bother people
2: yeah talk about that i thought that's it's an interesting thing to tell people like this is a problem that this person did nothing wrong, and we are mad at him. What was your thinking by that?
3: Yeah, have you ever been in a fight with someone who accused you of doing something you didn't do? Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking infuriating, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like, I, I have like been accused of things that I have not done, uh, by like family members or you know or whomever, mm-hmm. and like move me to. Not because I am sad, but literal anger tears. Mm-hmm. And it's and this is like another thing like that. It just is so It's not that people making fun of him are yeah. bad people, but they're not yeah. taking the time to be a good person either in this situation.
2: Do you feel like you're a justice oriented person? Do you feel like justice matters to you?
3: Yeah, yes. Yeah, I think I spent <laughs> um Yes, I do. So the past four years have been pretty hard for me. Um, <laughs> I do. I, I I don't always do what's right or anything mm-hmm. of that like that. But like, I really, it upsets me when things are wrong and people just don't care to be fair in any way. Like some, like the thing I like can fail or lose, and I can live with that. But like fixing the game itself, mm. it gets a really visceral reaction from me. I almost feel like it's like an acidic feeling in my mouth, and my stomach. I, it, it's, it's really upsetting.
2: That's interesting. We'll be right back with more Shane Torres.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is...
1: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And we're back with Shane Torres. So there's three of these types of jokes in it, but I'll, I'll focus on this one, which is the I know he looks like a hot topic manager, moonlighting. At a Friday's where you describe him and then you go like, but he didn't do anything wrong. Did you have like a variety of examples where you just sort of oh, like today? Oh, dude, I went through a
3: slew of those things. That was the easy part of the joke. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I know I had more, but it was just, it was also kind of like always just like a, like a one-two punch kind of combination mm-hmm. of things he looked like. And mm-hmm. I wrote, I must have wrote a dozen of them. And then those were the three I liked the best that also felt different enough.
2: Yeah, it's like a little roast joke where you're. It's like you're aware he's silly, and I and like almost to a point was like he's aware he's silly. That doesn't yeah, mean he's a criminal. You don't
3: put that shit on by accident. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like he's an intentional man. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think probably in everything he does. So I I would I would assume that he didn't just end up with a hundred T-shirts with you know that are black and gray and you know <laughs> okay. like have like tribal design on them. Um,
2: yeah. and then, so then you do the, which is, I love when comedians do it. I mean, it's hard cause I, I, I think everyone loves when comedians do it too, which is the sort of, uh, you yell, what else has he done? And then you off mic scream. So glad you asked the off mic <laughs> scream is, uh, it's a powerful tool in the tool belt, but talk about deciding time for the off mic scream. Um,
3: I, I felt like I didn't want to just do like when someone does kind of a listing of, of the same joke over and over in a bit, like the same kind of punchline, like it always kind of like taps me out. Mm. Like I did. I, I didn't like that. And I was like thinking to myself, like, well, what is the what is a way to break this up? But not necessarily like halt all the momentum of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's joke jokes as like as as we said, like j- true jokes in it and all, but it like it transitions a bit into like like a persona joke which is like what i think what's so great about it which is like at first it's the idea that's great and then you have these funny things you say but then it's like now we're just like watching this guy who seems to really care about this person (laughs) no one has thought about
3: (laughs) i get um I mean, there's nothing more gratifying than being right when everyone else is wrong. So maybe that was part of it. Maybe it's a little self-serving to me. Like I just wanted a little, little high from it.
2: Tell me about how the, the Anthony Bourdain part evolved into it. What did Anthony Bourdain represent to you? How did that sort of, how did that come to be part of this joke as well?
3: I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I will. Uh, a little, I guess. Um, I remember like I was watching his show and I was like, I get it. He's interesting and he's cool and he's like, he's a handsome guy and all this kind of stuff. And I had friends who I worked in the restaurant industry for years. People who read his vocals, Kitchen Confidential or whatever. And, and they were like, Oh, it's so compelling. He's uh, you know, he's like on drugs and all this stuff and he's cooking. And I was like, you're a cook and you're on drugs all the time. I don't find you compelling at all. I just thought sometimes on his show he came off like he thought he was very funny
1: mm-hmm.
3: when he would make jokes, and i it irritated the shit out of me and then the way the same people who call themselves foodies and like Anthony Bourdain were just the they always happened to be the same person who would shit on Guy Fieri and not like walking around a mall or what you know yeah. like. <laughs> I just, I hate, I hate too cool because it's, it's never funny. It's usually not as compelling uh, a person or topic to me or band or I'm not absorbing it as, it seems interesting on, on the surface. And then a lot of the time it's bullshit, but that being said, like somebody being a sweet person, like Guy Fieri seems to be, Uh, I'm not ever really disappointed in someone being sweet. Yeah. Like, uh, but I am disappointed in a person who like will be like, Oh, like they seem cool. I bet they have good taste in music. And then they have like one album I like to listen to and the rest of it's horseshit or whatever. (laughs) So if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. It was something when preparing for the interview, having, having known this part of the joke, um, it reminded me sometimes how you talk about, Growing up, and how there were like a lot of tough guys around. Um, and and you were like this sweet, sweet guy, and like how toughness was coded as cool. Um, do you feel like it's there's there's part of that in there, which is sort of like either a natural aversion to sort of that type of like leather jacket cool?
3: I don't know if there's like a natural aversion. Mm-hmm. There's a thing, I guess, like, with Guy Fieri, he seems to be genuinely likes what he likes mm-hmm. and does the things he does. And then, like, with a lot of people who, like, look like Bourdain seem to me like, this is fashionable. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people who were absorbing him, God rest him, were kind of that way, too. Like, it's like, do you even take the time to enjoy this or do you just have a Pixies t-shirt? Yeah. I, like, yeah. So I think, I wouldn't say i have like, a natural aversion to it but i i want to give everyone a shot yeah you know but like a lot of times that that kind of persona will will turn me off i want to find somebody interesting and not not pretending to be interesting
2: well i guess it's i'm trying to think i mean like i don't know if i'd be like oh your comedy is like the guy fieri of comedy and not the anthony Bourdain (laughs) of comedy but like i guess they are they have Like, I don't think I would call you the Guy Fieri of comedy. Like, whatever Guy Fieri represents, it's like, it just like does not hold true because in my head, a Guy Fieri comedy would be like big partying and like fireworks. And like, that'd be cool. (laughs) But like, do you feel like as a creator, there was something about what Guy represented that you wanted to aspire to more than what Anthony represented? Yes.
3: I think there's part of that because like, I'm sure Anthony Bourdain did some very decent things in his life. So I'm not going to like presume to know anything about it, but like the part I like in the joke, as far as point making goes, was the part where I say he, he helps small businesses all the time, Yeah, which is a a real thing. I have no restaurants in Portland. He went to that would just, anytime they did a rerun, it would be busy again. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seemed like this very, like anybody who like is cool and like liberal and like, likes interesting music and has tattoos would want to support a small business. Yeah. And, and that is a thing. He's not saying it, he's doing it. So Mm -hmm. like, and he's not showing it, he's actually doing it, which is much more valuable than being a mouthpiece. And I'm not saying Bourdain was that, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, like the proof is always in the pudding. So I I liked that about
2: him um just in case there's like anthony bourdain heads who are like screaming i do want to just note as a fan of both i do think (laughs) one anthony bourdain as he got older became much more um gentle um and less worried about playing the character he created in the book um and i think the show reflected that i think the early show as like anyone who creates their first tv show like I imagine he's like, I'm this guy from this book and it's going to be like rock and roll. And he had to like buy into that. But as he got more clout, I think um, he did become, he still was like, you know, leather jacket, judo, wearing Rolling Stones t-shirts, but like it was much more sentimental. And I think especially like he would, when he ate at, in foreign countries with like families, he was very much a very good listener. I think that became yeah. and became less about him like cracking wise, which I think was a big part of the early show.
3: Yeah, and he like he was like a a bit more present and uh Yeah. Which is something I can actually appreciate. You also learn to do that better the further along you go in your life.
2: Yeah. And there's a side note where I feel like Guy Fieri his his also like I think he learned how to if you want, I was, as a fan of the show, as I I have watched it evolve, he's learned to like not dumb down how he talks to people as much. Like, I think at first he just was, like, being exciting nonstop, and I think he's, like, sunk in and, like, actually is able to sort of have more earnest conversations about... Yeah, as
3: opposed to being, like, in your face, I'm Guy here. You know, like, yeah, yeah. sell it, sell it, sell it, Yeah, or whatever, yeah.
2: Um, but back to the joke. At different parts in the joke, because on the album and in Conan you do it at different times, but you, both times you do, uh, am I still doing this, or I am still doing this bit which is a, is a nice calling out the, as I say, like the joke becomes about sort of your flights of fancy or whatever, your obsession with this. is Or is it a thing where you're just sort of feeling out of like, when is the audience m- most backing away a little bit or most being like, how do you feel when it's time to sort of say like, oh, I also know this is a weird amount of this to do.
3: Yeah, this is this is a, a ton of energy to, to, mm-hmm. to, to put into such a thing. No, If no one had ever thought of it, it probably yeah. wouldn't matter. Um, I guess in the later version of the bit, I saw how much chicken I'd chewed off the bone already, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, maybe this is a lot, but I don't want the bit to be over. So I was like, well, here's a second helping or whatever yeah. you know like is it like i just i wanted more but i wanted to acknowledge that i may be being a bit of a zealot yeah <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah i mean I, I think it also allows you to then do the last part which is like you know a true flight of fancy of imagining this world war ii scenario um which it's 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 i mean like it's part of like what I love about this joke is that there's like so many different types of ways of approaching this joke. And you've decided to do all of them in this one joke, which is like a very Guy Fieri way of doing the joke, which is like, Oh, if I'm going to prepare this dish, I'm going to do all ways of doing this.
3: Yeah. It's going to have jalapenos and habanero peppers yeah, exactly. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Talk about adding that, that, that last flourish.
3: I feel like the joke, it kind of works in three parts. Mm-hmm. Like there's like the the beginning and the introduction, and then there's the part of me listing and comparing the two, uh, which is at the center of the joke. And then at the end, I was like, "Well, that can't like there's got to be another way to end this." Yeah. By the way, just going over this joke with you yeah. just is making me realize how much time I wasted on this joke, <laughs> like trying to work. I love it, but like it's just like 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 I spent hours.
2: I thought you were going to say the opposite. I thought you were going to be like, just talking about it makes me really proud of how much work I put into it.
3: I am proud of it, but I'm also just like, World War II scenario. <laughs> <It's> just...
2: <laughs> was that, was that uh, a first thought? How did you get to World War II? That's such a jump that I think it's what... Yeah, uh, I mean, it's like... I, I have it is Yeah, well, how did you get there? I can't
3: exactly recall...
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, what brought that scenario to my brain, I kind of think my grandfather was in World War II. He was at D-Day.
1: Mm.
3: And I have a picture of him when he was in the war, not at D-Day, but when he was in the war. And he was like, I feel like maybe I was looking at it. like, what would it be like to be like? And then like, you know, you kind of like, <laughs> let's put them in a scenario.
2: Yeah.
3: And what, like what where one will shine, the one I want to shine can shine. And the one I don't want to shine can come out the way I want them to come out as well. <laughs> uh, and that also could be a complete, Fabrication in my mind.
2: The the part that I I forgot until re-listening is that you have Guy Fieri die on the beach.
3: (laughs) Do I? What do I say?
2: You say, and he knows he's dying on that beach that morning, but he's there fighting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I feel (laughs) I do remember that. That is funny.
2: That is funny. Uh,
3: uh... So
2: I think there's dark notes. In your comedy, throughout, but like they do sneak in. I would say, like, th- I would not call you a dark comedian, but they're like you have a sneaky darkness, and I think they're that part. And I think also using the imagery of mean to dogs were both sort of like sinister elements. Is that, like was is that a thing that's important to you? you think that's a sort of natural to you?
3: The darkness in my yes. act? Yeah, I guess I think it is. Like I think maybe early on, I was kind of in my career, I mean, and in and creating my comedy, uh, I felt like maybe I was trying to be dark. Mm. And then, like, as I've kind of moved forward now, I'm if it's funny and it's dark, I have no problem saying it. Like, okay. as long as it's funny. But uh, I really hope it's just, uh, as far as, like, darkness in my comedy goes, it's, 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 it's seen as not being dark for the sake of being dark but which i think i when i was a much younger comic it was uh mm. but now i i just hope it's like truthful in a way that's not cheesy i guess yeah. you know like it doesn't doesn't come like because a lot of people are like oh that's like the thing you always read when someone gets interviewed about a new special or whatever they're putting out they're like oh this one's a lot more personal you're like here we go you're gonna talk about your cat like i just it's a it's a trope i didn't i think i think an audience can feel when you're actually being personal in a bit and, and truthful and not just putting it out there like you are, you know, like I think I I really, I sincerely believe people pick up on that.
2: Well, I think it's the difference between truth, you know, I mean, he's the example I was up, which is like Louis CK defined truth. Everyone would talk about how truthful Louis CK was. And it like obviously revealed to be not necessarily the case, but somewhere people got lost where it's like, oh, if truthful meant you're just saying the truth on stage, where I think yeah. the distinction you're making is essentially like emotional honesty and like artistic honesty, which is sort of like you're being true to who you are and like that means giving the audience whatever amount of your perspective as it is and like being truth to your tone and oh, I'm going to be like this and there's darkness, but ultimately it's going to be this much, not just being like this I, this monolith of what truth is, which is like a person on stage, like telling you like gross stuff about themselves just to like with where, yeah, yeah, where there's no actual sort of like emotional or creative truth behind it.
3: Yeah. There's just the uh, thing you did. Yes. A lot of people call truth in their comedy, just the thing they did, which is true, but you might as well just watch a black and white video camera security. (laughs) footage. It's not truthful to me if there is no emotional weight in it. Mm hmm. I think that's um, sometimes that can lead to being darker as a comic. Yeah.
2: So I want to talk about the, the sort of react as 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 those club owners mentioned the the reaction to the joke. So um, I will now enter the story of this joke. Um, I can't remember. I don't remember if I told you, but so I first saw this joke in the fall of 2016 when you were opening for Kyle Canane, and I, I was watching you. And I was like... Was that the Bowery? Uh, is that Caroline's?
3: Okay. okay.
2: I remember being like, oh, it'll be interesting to see Kyle do Caroline's. I just sort of like didn't yeah, expect it.
3: I, I remember... Uh, this is like one of my favorite memories in comedy. Our buddy Gilbert Long was open and it says that Caroline's is in the middle of Times Square. He just comes in and he goes, where are we drinking tonight, boys? Olive Garden or Applebee's? <laughs> like, I don't know why, but it sticks out in my memory for the rest of my life. <laughs>
2: um and so i remember seeing you do this joke for the first time and i sent i must have sent myself an email after kyle because i didn't which was like remember whenever shane releases an album to ask to do an exclusive on the guy for joke um oh that's very flattering thanks man (laughs) I was like, this joke is going to be such a big deal. I knew it immediately. This was like a f- almost a full year before it, anything happened. I was like, this joke is going to be huge. And so, like, eventually I get an email from your publicist just announcing the album existing. And I'm like, is the Guy Fieri joke on it? Can we do an exclusive? Immediately. I, I think I just... Thank I you, man. That's, so, a,
3: that's, a, that's really cool. Seriously, that's... Yeah, I really so, appreciate that.
2: So... um And I played it for everyone. Like I played it because we premiered it on Vulture and our food blog Grub Street at the same time. Because like this is going to be, I I was like, this is, I I was like, this is going to go viral. I know it. And (laughs) I've never had that. I've never had that
3: word said. A guy with an ice bucket over his head.
2: (laughs) I know. I was like, I was, I know. I've been doing this too long. I know this is going to be huge. And so we put it online. And like, from my perspective. It did like the idea that like an album premiere track like th- that. It wasn't even the video clip got passed around as much as it did. I I mean, like, I can't think of tons of examples where like a thing really blew up online like that. So this was like the summer of 2017. Can you talk about what yes. it was like for you?
3: Yeah. Well, I remember we shot the half hour and done the album, like all pretty close together and they're like, it's finally coming out that he was like maybe August. Yeah, when that that happened and uh, I was like oh it's going up today God I really like and we had spent like this money on the publicist to get it out to people you know and Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I was like really very worried um, just because it was like my first things I was putting out there that would be like forever consumable or whatever you want to say and I thought I did think it would do well, but I was like, what if it fucking doesn't and you're an idiot? Uh, and I remember I was in LA. I was, I, was, I was already living in New York, but I was in LA and my friend Adam and I, who was, he was the, uh, he was the floor manager at my home club in Portland and he had moved to LA. And now he's in like show business shit. We had to go to San Francisco cause his girlfriend's a wonderful comic. And we were both on the outside lands, mm-hmm. Amy Miller. Got it. And, uh, he was like i'm not flying and i was like "What?" And he goes let's just take a bus and we were on a bus all the way up to san francisco from la when it dropped and my phone was going fucking nuts everybody was like texting and i was getting all these pings and all this kind of shit and we were laughing like lunatics on like a shitty bolt bus or whatever and everybody was like looking at us like what the fuck?" Like, this guy goes, Why are you guys laughing so much? What's going on? And it was like, it was a very exciting kind of. And then I remember, like, oh, it's like, yeah, I'm also, like, I'm big on the internet right now. Uh, and I'm also on a bus, like, being pretty upset about it. And then uh, I, I did Outside Lands, and it was like the coolest thing ever. And then I remember I came back to LA and I was doing a set at the Laugh Factory, like, the following Monday or Tuesday and i got in an uber pool when you could still do that and this girl goes that was in the car she goes are you the guy fieri Calm, like <laughs> and i was like yeah she goes that was funny but he fucking sucks and i was just like well it doesn't matter like i yeah. like you can win yeah like that that's the two things i take from that like specifically remembering was like that it, yeah. one was like oh this is this kind of a uh, great thing is happening and i'm not going to be on this bus much longer. I'll have a life, you know? And then also you can hold the truth up to people's faces, but they probably won't look at it.
2: It's interesting that you say that because like, I feel like regardless of that, that person, like the public opinion of at least as time passes, the public opinion from when you started that joke, maybe um, 2015, 2016 to like where it is now, is now yeah. completely different. Like, yeah, and I he imagine owes you th- money.
3: He owes me money. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I I really feel like his publicist should cut me in on the check. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> but then also, why should he? He I just said the good things he did. <laughs> yeah. so, like, what's this? none of my fucking business? Uh, <laughs> keep going. It, I'm sorry, dog.
2: No, it's no. It is something of like, and I imagine if you have a Googler to your name, like. There were no defenses of Guy Fieri before yours. Now it's like a legitimate, like if you look up like defense Guy Fieri, your name will come up in like 9 million essays about Guy Fieri being good. And I bring it up because I was telling you before this, like I think about this joke more than any other joke like, of the last five years. And, Thank you. And I'll explain why, which was specifically, I, I was looking, and that Caroline show was the Saturday after the 2016 election. Um, I remember.
3: <laughs> I remember, because you... Kyle and I were so bummed. Yeah, they, they, was, and everybody in Brooklyn looked like they were broken up with the night before.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, and like...
2: I, I was like... I don't know i either went and i was like oh, i guess i'll go see like you know kyle's one of my favorite comedians like maybe that'll make me feel better or maybe i was like oh maybe i'll i will like see how comedians are adjusting to this sort of new reality um and it's interesting because and there's something i want to talk to about which is sort of like i imagine as a comedian for the last four years you've done enough interviews where people probably ask you some version of like you know what is comedy's role against trump and what do you think yeah. about political comedy? And and when when I am in those conversations as well, I I, I think about your joke. Partly because I maybe because of the timing, but like to me it's like what satire can do. Like I don't think of you you, you didn't think <clears throat> of this joke as like a grand piece of satire or whatever. But like no. this is what comedy does, which is shines a light on an issue, gives people a new framework of seeing something. And sort of provides them vocabulary of how to talk about it. And I feel like it is the most effective version of what comedy potentially can do, like I've ever seen. Partly because you said like Guy Fieri is now like a completely different person. Yeah. Like ha- I mean Thank it's you. Yeah, I mean like I don't even know what my question is do you feel like you as a person who like I I like to me, this is a political joke because it's about goodness in some ways and how we value uh, people yeah, it's and
3: like a public consciousness, kind of.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Do, how do you feel about this joke? And it relates to sort of the years since, as sort of like what your your role is. Like, does what I say resonate to sort of what you're you're hoping for with your comedy?
3: Um. Yes, the joke there's a, I, I it's kind of an emotional thing for me mm-hmm. uh on several one of it being and i've been having this talk with myself a lot lately is that i i want to make um i want to make comedy that people call art yeah you know like yeah and uh i and i believe it is and and I, I want it to elicit like laughter as like an, emo- but I want it to be an emotional like response that is mm. people that is thoughtful, you know? And like, I think very few comics can do that, you know, like, and I, I do believe uh there's a few people I would, I could list and, and say like that, I think like, like I think Chappelle makes art with his comedy and I think I think Maria does that as well. And I think I I really think Louie did it for a while too, despite all the stuff he has done and you know what whatever yeah. people think of him. I, I I um so I want to be able to do that too. And uh and I that kind of leads to the other version. The other way I feel about this joke is that I hope this isn't the only time I do it, you know, like on a scale like this, I like, I, I don't want to be a, you know, there's some bands that are great, but they're only a one hit wonder. Yeah. Like, and I don't, you know, like, I know, like you guys know who Shane Torres is. And I know the thing they say is, Oh, he's the guy. He did the guy for Like, I know that's the first thing. And it's not that I'm not proud of it, but I want people to be like, you know, his first one was great, but his second one was even better. You know, like his second splash was bigger than the first or you know, like there's more to it. Like and I'm I'm a fan of One Hit Wonders uh bands like who happen to be amazing and they just never made a second splash. So I think that's part of it too. Is mm-hmm. that I, I, I feel um felt like I I'm very proud of the joke and I'm so happy I wrote it and so happy it's done so well. And I get defensive of it. Uh, when I see some guy literally steal it and put it on TikTok and get 400,000 views, <laughs> which is a thing that happened like two weeks ago. It's fucking like limited. he
2: redoes the joke like he's, he's he was or- drunk
3: laying in a door jam on the ground. And he's like kind of being a skeptical and like he, he doesn't like lip sync it, but he like just does the whole bit. And his friends are laughing. And I'm like, Doug's the funniest. I'm like, yeah. fuck Doug. Like, <laughs> I hate him. But then, you know, I think the good thing is that that joke is in the ether so much that no one will think he, will. you know, like if you yeah. like, it's my, yeah. Like I, uh, it's mine or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, but he's like literally doing my shit and these people are like laughing and losing their fucking minds. And I'm like, God damn it. Like I, fuck, I think I kicked my chair over and it's like over what? <laughs> um, yeah. So I have, like I guess I have a lot of different emotions about the
2: joke, Yeah. Um, yeah. What was Guy's response? Uh, a continued response. I have you. He tweeted at me. Yeah,
3: uh, he tweeted at me, and he like had a little meme. That was cool, and we were laughing. And then he actually called me. I was on a flight, and it was so funny. I've been flying a bunch for years, but I'd never been upgraded to first class, and I literally got put in first class. <laughs> and he called me as the flight was pushing back. Mm-hmm. And, and it was cool man because he called me and, he, and it, i didn't i thought it was like an la number and i thought like maybe it's somebody i work with or something mm-hmm. uh, he was like is shane there and i was like who's calling and they go this guy and i'm like who and he goes this guy fieri and they started <laughs> fucking laugh like laughing really really loud and i was like what's up man and the guy next to me was a suit and tie businessman uh drinking scotch and Oh, he And I was just like, oh, hey, how are you? And he's like, I'm good. And he goes, hey, I just wanted to call and say thanks. And uh, he was like, keep kicking ass. And we got a lot to talk about. And he's like, call me after your flight lands and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, I called him and he never got back to me. But <laughs> I think the, uh but it was cool. You know, like I, I sincerely appreciate that he took, he's, I mean, the guy's moving mountains all the time, like with his businesses and like mm-hmm. that fundraising thing he did at the start of the pandemic for restaurant workers and shit you know so guy kind of that busy calling me for three minutes just because i did some dumb wisecrack is pretty it's pretty cool
2: yeah on this podcast pat and oswalt um, was on and I asked him like I do all my, my biggest guests. moment dog yeah that, that was a huge that
3: was a huge win for me let me
2: let me ask the question um, <laughs> <laughs> what yeah so I asked him what is yeah, the joke like,
3: what do you fucking think of this back shape tour? <laughs> yeah
2: so I, you know I asked him what is the joke that he wish you could steal um you know not steal but it's another dimension where you everything's the same but you have this joke essentially what's just the joke you wish you wrote and then. And Patton said this joke, and then when I had him back on the podcast, I was like, "Is there any other joke that you wish you wrote?" He goes, "Nope, still Shane Torres's Guy Fieri joke." Uh, what? That's awesome. how, how does that? How does that make you feel? It
3: blew me away, man. I'm like, I know Patton a little bit now. You yeah. know, like we're friendly, uh, and I've opened for him on a couple of different occasions and stuff. I mean, I, I hold him in such a really high regard, like feeling kind of patent is one of the albums he put out i listened to that all the time i uh what was the other one werewolves and lollipops yeah there's one is out like i remember i listened when i lived in portland i got that album and i was sitting in a coffee shop like a diner or something in the middle of the night listening to it i bought it on a cd and i was listening to it and he, he was doing that brian dennehy joke or that story he tells and i fucking like started choking on my pancakes. I was laughing so hard. And, uh, this guy next to me was like, he was like, he's like, that's okay. He's like, you gotta let that joy out, man. (laughs) And, uh, uh, so I mean, that's what I mean. It's huge. You know, like I like Patton is fucking, you know, like I, like I want to have a career like his in a lot of ways. I like, I think he's, uh, he's so special. Like it's, uh, Billy Gardell said, uh, that, uh, about Patton, he said he's the bridge between the all-world of comedy and, like, what we would consider mainstream. Like, I think he's the person you know, he's, like, kind of, like he's, I mean, he's, like, he is, he can play anywhere. and He can do any kind of room. You know, he's that brilliant. Like, there's not, he can play outside of, he doesn't have a a zone where he's not comfortable. Patton's incredible. Mm -hmm. He's really, uh, he's pretty special.
2: So does hearing him say that, is it useful as a reminder Like I mean, I met. It's like doing stand up is hard. Is it useful? Be (laughs) like, well, I know I did this correct. Like, is it is the sort of thing that you yeah helps push you forward?
3: Yes, when you when someone great tells you something that flattering, or you hear, you know, in my case through a podcast, it's um yeah, you know, it's like somebody you idealize in a lot of ways. You know, like. Um, I I was reading about Jack White's subtle, like his tribute to Eddie Van Halen on the SNL this past weekend. Yeah. Because the guitar was Eddie designed for him and stuff. It's like, you know, it's amazing. Like who, who gets that? Like very few people get that at all, you know, like, and I got a little bit of it from Patton, you know? So that's, uh, it's special. I don't know where you put it in your head. There's no physical representation of it. It's just uh, there and pretty amazing to look at <laughs> like it's or, or absorb i i messaged him on twitter and uh told him thank you and he he wrote back and it was really nice and, and then yeah. you know and then the other thing was i remember in that episode pat said it would either be my joke or gary goldman's state abbreviation bit mm-hmm. and then i saw gary at the cellar he's like hey how about us <laughs> 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 uh that was a- uh, which made me pretty happy. Cause I'm in, that means I'm in good company too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny.
1: <laughs>
2: that sound means it's time for our final segment, which is the laughing round. It is like a lightning round, <laughs> but, uh, it's a laughing round because, uh, it's a comedy
3: uh, pocket. I got it. I'm with you. I've been, so, I don't know if I would have grasped this concept if I wasn't an avid listener to the show.
2: I just look if, if every guest somewhat gets it, but then ultimately they're like, oh, it's still just asking. He's still just going to ask me a question and then I answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, so has anyone ever been just like, I'm sorry, what are we doing? <laughs>
2: uh, I think that anyone who doesn't get it is too polite to be like, wait, no. Please explain exactly what you mean. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't make any sense.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm they're, what... they're not going to have the gall of Eddie Pepitone to just be like, what are you talking about?
2: No. Um, so I'll ask it out of order, but so I'll ask this question first, which is usually not my first laughing around question, but uh, is there a joke you wish you could steal? Um not steel steel, but it's another dimension where everything's exactly yeah. the same, but you have this comedian's joke. So, you know, no one will be mad at you. You just sort of have this joke. The yeah. joke you wish you thought of. Is there such a joke for you?
3: Yeah. Can I can I say two? Is yeah. that okay? Yeah. Uh, well, there was one <laughs> this is this is true. There was a, a guy in Portland when I started comedy there and he was like fifty years old and his name was Sean Connery. And he uh <laughs> he had this bit and I it is it is. by the way I thought about this segment of the show a lot I was really like I, I'm like I'm so serious but Sean had this joke this sounds mean and my favorite thing is a comedian who is not that great with one brilliant joke mm-hmm. always like it's like I don't know it's like putting your your spoon and pudding and then finding out there's cherries at the bottom like I just yeah, yeah. love it so much but he had this bit where he would go, uh, uh, oh, my stepdad, he was just a horrible drinker. And I remember one night he came home and I was, I could, he was so boozy and smelly. I could smell him through my bedroom door and I was like 14 years old. And I was in my underwear and I, uh, I stood up in front of my sister's door and I said, you're not going in there tonight. And he, and he punched me in the nose. There's blood everywhere. And he took off his belt and there's, I have scars on my legs to this day. From I was when I was a boy, this guy beat the shit out of me with his belt. My mother was screaming and my sister was crying. I guess you just had to be there. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, I fucking love that joke so much. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm so envious of it. I'll never, I'll never, uh, I'll never get to say it like on stage into a microphone, which makes me sad. But it's so fucking beautiful. And then uh, the other one is, um, I don't know if you knew him, but there, there was a comedian named Richard Bain. No, I'm not sure. I started with him in Portland, and uh, he was like the funniest person ever. He opened for Patton at the first Bridgetown when we decided to have a local up, open up. Mm-hmm. When they decided to have a... Yeah, so, He was like the funniest guy, and he, he died this year. I just get sad because I don't hear his jokes anymore. But one of my favorite ones was, (laughs) it's so gross. And if you want to cut this and it offends everybody, and I'm really sorry. He goes, uh, I read, due to overfishing and pollution, there might not be seafood in 20 years. And that really sucks because how's a guy going to describe stinky pussy to his friends? He goes, ah, I fucked this skank last night. It smelled like he goes. I don't know what it smelled like. <laughs> <laughs> and I fucking, I miss him so much, and I miss that yeah. joke a lot. <laughs> I wish I like, yeah, yeah. But was, it, like those two killed me. Yeah.
2: Do you have a favorite joke? Joke like a street joke? I I don't know. Uh,
3: I remember. One time I told my mom my aunt lost weight and she said, what she do? Take off her shoes. And uh, I thought that felt like the structure of a street joke. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, or like yeah, a those, Yo mama joke. Your mama joke. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. She can like, only lose yeah. weight once she takes off her shoes.
3: Yeah. So, I'm, yeah, that, that would be Jesus. Yeah. So you should get out there. That was pretty quick.
2: Um, do you have a comedy crush? A k- person whose comedy you have a crush on, not a person in comedy you have a romantic crush on?
3: I like, uh, you know, Joe Pera? Yeah. It's it's so different. You know, I like watching people who do things I don't do. Like, like as a comedian, you know, like you are very different. Um, I think uh, there's a comic in New York named Dina Hashim. Mm-hmm. Who is, I, I think she just writes brilliant stuff. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, those are two people I just can keep watching forever.
2: All right. So last one. Um... Okay. Do you have a joke that has never worked or rarely worked, that you worked really hard on, that you thought this is the funniest thing, but audiences never bought into it, but you'll go to your grave being like, this was funny, they were wrong.
3: Yeah, I I do. I actually... <laughs> I, I, I was trying to write a bit about what it was like to be the first undercover cop. Uh, <laughs> and I tried it, and actually the Portland Mercury actually wrote a piece about me trying to make the joke work over and over mm. again. Uh, but yeah, that was like, I was like, I would do these things. Like I would do these like big long act outs, which isn't typically like a big staple in my act, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then like the twist in the bit was like, he's like, he's like very bad at being it because no one's ever done it before. So he like answers in cop jargon to like, <laughs> yeah. yeah like a, you know, like a, a fairly offensive Italian stereotype of a gangster. Sure. And, uh, you know, and then like, and then like the big twist at the end was like, what would it be like to be the first criminal busted by the first undercover cop, <laughs> <laughs> which was like, was like, you know, like I thought we were friends. <laughs> like, I-, I told you shit. I've never told anybody <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, because even though they're a criminal and they're wrong, like the sense of betrayal has to be pretty, pretty <laughs> profound for that guy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the first, <laughs> yeah, like never even heard of the possibility that, uh, yeah, that they yeah, might it be like,
3: and it like worked into this big dragged out thing you're like oh good one Steve like when they're putting him in the cop car and like cuffing him and stuff <laughs> like you're taking this a bit too far that was like uh yeah I always thought that was a cause the way I would intro the bit was be like I, I think it's interesting the first time anyone tries something brand new mm. uh and, uh, I was like working on that bit forever. And then I, I tried to do, I was in Vermont years ago and I was featuring for Dana Gould and I was kind of working the bit into a different, like maybe the analogy is not right. And I was like, the you know, like the, you're supposed to scare a bear away by, uh, waving and yelling at it. And I was like, who was the first guy to try that? Yeah, and yeah. then Dana had a, the same version or a version of the same idea and his was, of course, ten thousand times better. I and mean, then just yeah. I was just like, Well, fuck this. <laughs> and so I just, uh, so I'll try and get the cop one to work someday.
2: Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah.
3: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean yeah. like
2: you th- talking about it, it's good. I mean I imagine it's a different experience when it's like ten minutes of like you doing to the different voices. Eating my own
3: nuts, yeah. It's pretty fucking horrible.
2: <laughs> but I'm like, Yeah, that sounds like a thing that would work.
3: <laughs> yeah, oh uh, yeah. Uh, it does it sounds like it, you know. <laughs> I, uh, Howard Hughes made it sound like the spruce goose was going (laughs) to fly
2: that's it that's the interview thank you so much this this was great
3: thank you man I uh, I I really was looking forward to this I really appreciate it I like I love the show thanks for having me
2: that's it for another episode of good one you can listen to Shane's album established 1981 wherever you stream music follow Shane on Twitter at Shane Torres and on Instagram at syrup mountain Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Hannah Rosen, and Camila Salazar. Godsmashriekashen did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture in the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week. Have a good one.
1: You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it.